2: Find
0: a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
2: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we have a ton of news to cover. We have Kansas women's volleyball in the NCAA tournament we have kansas going bowling for football we actually know where they are headed to and who they are facing uh and then we have of course there was just a absolutely ridiculous matchup of kansas versus yukon on friday night so we have a ton to talk about helping me to do that is of course join me as always kyle davis the deputy editor over at blue wings rising kyle how you doing today
1: uh, I'm good. My voice is still a little uh, shaky from Friday night, um, but we'll get to that. Uh, I'll say you, would, you just, would
0: think you were in the field house or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, we, but it's good. I, I suddenly have the urge to go bowling today, so.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we're actually going to go ahead and start with women's volleyball because Kansas hosted um, the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament here in Lawrence and uh, you know, while it, the weekend didn't end the way that they wanted, you actually got to see what this team was made of. I was on hand for both of those games. Um, in fact, that's why I didn't get to go to the uh, the men's basketball game because they kind of overlapped. But um, you know, you, they they beat uh, Nebraska Omaha in three straight sets. Uh, had a little bit of trouble at the at the last one, um, but were able to kind of pull it out. And then Penn State that was probably as as Ray Bichard put it. That was a elite eight slash final four quality match. Uh, you had two teams going back and forth. The only set that wasn't a nail biter down to the finish was the fourth set when Kansas just went on, on a gigantic run uh, to put that one away. They were like 25, 13 or something like that. It was a ridiculous fourth set. And you thought Kansas had all the momentum going into the fifth set. Unfortunately, they were not able to pull it out. Um, did you get a chance to watch much of the volleyball this weekend? And if so, what were your, what were your thoughts about this team? so yeah
1: i obviously i saw more of the omaha game um if actually they had uh i was following along obviously the first part of the penn state game and then they actually were playing they were showing the video on the jumbotron and allen for a lot for for when there was about 45 minutes to go and then they basically they cut away for a bit and then they went and i saw they showed the end of the fourth set and then they went away, and then they came back again for the end of the fifth set. So, like, I know how a lot of the sets ended. I did not see a lot in the middle, but um, still, like, yeah. I mean, from what I saw from Penn State, two very evenly matched teams, very back and forth. And I don't think – I mean, Kansas has nothing to be – I mean, it's obviously a disappointment, but it's also a very impressive season, Uh, a lot to be proud of. they had some huge wins along the way in the regular season. And, you know, I think – From what I saw, and you'll know better than me, it really felt like that Penn State game. Like if you play if those two teams played ten times, that's probably gonna be
0: a five-five five five and five and six
1: and four, or something like that. Like they just seemed very, very evenly matched there. Yeah, I
0: mean, they were ranked fourteen and fifteen in the in the poll. Um, Penn State was I, I believe that Kansas was barely on the hosting line and Penn State was barely not on the hosting line. So like these were two teams that were really good. But you know I was I was most impressed with the way that Reagan Cooper played in against Penn State. She's outside hitter. Uh, unfortunately, this is her last year of eligibility so she won't be able to come back next year um, but you know she had a Kansas record 29 kills in a five set match um, which was absolutely crazy for that to come in the in the NCAA tournament you know in the one year that you're able to be here at Texas or, I'm sorry at, at Kansas um, they they were trying they came I believe she came from Texas Tech. Uh, I don't remember if she came from Texas Tech or if Michaela Myers came from Texas Tech, but one of them came from Texas Tech, one of them came from TCU. Um, both transferring inside the conference and coming to the Jayhawks for a run like this. Um, it was a, it was a great run. They have a ton of great players that are coming back next year. They had a very deep freshman class this year. That didn't get a ton of time, but they did they did contribute quite a bit. And then they have, I believe it's the sixth ranked. Uh, uh, recruiting class right now in, in all of the nation. Like they have a fantastic recruiting class coming in for next year as well. So it's a, it's a bright future for the volleyball team. It's unfortunate that they weren't able to finish it out. And we are going to try to have a a full season wrap up. So I won't go too far into this here, but you know, just to kind of, you know, they had a uh, second place finish in the big 12. They went on the road and beat BYU at Provo. Like they have done a lot of great things this year. And with Texas leaving, they are set up very well to be a contender for the for the conference title for years to come. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, but let's go ahead and move on. Obviously, the big news of Sunday when we're recording this was the bowl pairings coming out. Just let's touch briefly on the college football playoff. Um, you, know, you had Michigan at one. You have uh, Washington at two. You have Texas at three. And then you have Alabama, who upset Georgia, at four. Florida State, who is undefeated but had an injured quarterback, um, was just out at five. I'm going to ask you because I had some very strong feelings about this and (laughs) like, what were your thoughts about the, that actual playoff? And do you think it actually matters at all for Kansas fans?
1: Um, so it, well, real quick first is if the thing that mattered the most to Kansas fans, um, in terms of the placement, was Oklahoma not getting a New Year Six bowl? But we can get into that a bit. Like that was yeah, kind of the that thing was that ridiculous to too. Switch everything, but um, it's you know uh, this is probably I would say, I would say this is probably a fitting into the four team playoff uh, in that you you had this you have five power conference teams who seven years ago, or whatever it was, decided to make a four-team playoff that was going to screw one of them, and to end it on this note uh, just seems fitting, uh, although sad, I think a couple things can take place. I think FSU has every right to be disappointed and question why we play the games if going undefeated, and especially beating LSU and and beating Florida and, and playing well matters. I also think, like, as of right now, Florida state with the third string quarterback is not a better team than Alabama. And I think you saw, I don't know if you've seen the the kind of viral reaction from the Michigan watch party when they announced Alabama and it was a bunch of groans of like, Oh geez. It's like, Like, clearly, clearly, you know who they would have rather played. They would have rather played Florida state than Michigan. And so I think I think a couple of things can be true. I think it's um, like, it's, it is, kind of ridiculous when you say it out loud that you know like an under like what else in Florida State's defense what else could they have done they literally couldn't have done anything else Uh, just not get your quarterback
0: injured right like I mean yeah that's it you know nice and And, simple
1: and you know and 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 Mike Norvell had I don't know if you saw his long long quote that he came out with uh, after it but you know uh, essentially talking about like so what are we supposed to like you know not play a senior on senior day because he might get hurt and what like are you just how are you supposed to teach these kids to come back from you know adversity and rally and keep going and not just stop and quit afterward and all of that is valid I it's a broke it's a weird broken kind of ridiculous system as it is um and I think this if nothing else this kind of amplified on the last year uh, as it goes out how ridiculous and kind of silly it is so I think a couple of things are true I think I think Alabama getting in is going to make it a much more uh, exciting and viewable day of football with those two games. And I think those are probably the four best teams in the country right now. But I also feel terrible for Florida state fans because, you know, what else could they have done? And now you have to play Georgia who with your third string quarterback, who is just going to probably have no mercy, I guess, unless they're just going to have everyone declare and, and sit out of this one. I don't know what to make of that, but like, Yeah, I guess um, the good thing is that I did see this, you know, Florida State fans now – listen, Florida State with a third-string quarterback was going to lose to Michigan unless something very weird happened. So now you never have to – experience that and live out that reality now you can just say you got screwed and never have to like yeah, kind of true. face that and, and you're good there like you yeah. can always say hey but well, what if we never <laughs> no, got <the> exactly <laughs> uh instead of getting in there and then getting whooped um but yeah i think it's i think it's a couple of things i think it's the the four teams are probably the best product that we could have gotten i also i understand where that this is a dark dark day for uh florida state fans
0: yeah it's one of those i mean i I do think that there is definitely SEC bias going into this because I think if the, if the tables were turned, right. If, if, if Alabama was the one that lost their quarterback and Florida state had a thrilling victory, um, kind of the way that Alabama did, I can guarantee you, there'd be a ton of lobbying for letting Alabama in because how could they go undefeated in, you know, the mighty SEC and not get in, even if they're, you know, down to their third string quarterback and trying to piece everything together. The other thing too, I think that a lot of people forget that Florida state defense is pretty dominant. like, the fact that they were able to win the way that they were, even without the quarterback giving them a ton of stats, I mean, I don't know that they would have been able to stop Michigan, but I do think that they would have been even better at stopping Michigan than Iowa was. Iowa held them to 26, which I believe was their season low. Um, And so, you know, I, I do, I do think that Florida State would have had an opportunity in that one, but yes, I mean, you also have a month to get a, a third string quarterback prepared with additional things that you can try to do. And. Sure, he's a third string quarterback, but he is a guy that was brought in expected to potentially be the future of that team. So it's not like he was a no talent guy. The real question for me becomes like, what's the point of or I'm sorry, no. This is actually perfect, like you said, because we started this whole four team thing with a bunch of controversy when Baylor and TCU uh, you know, both got left out. And I believe there was also. Uh, oh no, that was right. Ohio State got in over both Baylor and TCU because of co champions, and went to win a national title. So that was hugely controversial then. And now, and why we, the
1: Big Twelve dropped its championship game for like four years, and they said we're not actually going to let the championship game, the conference championship game, get in no, our no, no. way. And so that, that's
0: yeah. that's why they brought the. Conference championship game back was because like they went and got that waiver because Baylor and TCU did not have that quote unquote extra data. Oh, yeah. Point. I guess that's right. You're right, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, but I think it's completely just poetic that there's this much controversy about the four participants on the last year of the four. Um, so next year there'll be 12. You know, I think we're going to have a very interesting playoff next year and I'm looking forward to having more teams in the playoff and we don't have to worry about this. It's much like with the NCAA tournament. Yes, there becomes a time where. You're just adding more teams for the sake of adding more teams and not really getting anything out of it. But having 12 is going to be much better than four because anybody that you think realistically has a shot to win a national title is going to be able to be in that field. And you're going to be able to reward people who have great seasons, even if you don't think they they actually have a chance to win a national title. So looking forward to all of that. All that is a lead up, of course, to Kansas getting their bowl, I guess, assignment was not very happy with where they end up going. Look, I know that Phoenix is a lovely place, but going to the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, when you had options like the Pop-Tart Bowl down in Orlando, you know, you had potentially the Texas Bowl, you had a bunch of different options that they could have potentially gone to. Kansas drawing the short straw, essentially, and getting shipped out to Phoenix the day after Christmas. I'm not really that happy with it, but what are your thoughts on where Kansas got put?
1: um i'm still uh, yeah i mean i knew we knew this was a possibility coming so i guess i can't say i was shocked and again i think you know that was the thing where if oklahoma gets a new year six bowl everyone else moves up then i think kansas could have gotten that texas bowl um you're right oh well i'm more i you know this was supposed to be the guaranteed rate bowl was supposed to be big 12 against big 10 and I'm a little more surprised that we couldn't get, you know, I thought like Maryland could have been a fun matchup. I thought Minnesota could have been an interesting matchup there. I'm, I'm a little more interested in the UNLV side. And granted um, there's some interesting storylines now because uh, not only is UNLV coached by Barry Odom, who was the former head coach at Missouri, but UNLV is on the 2024 schedule for Kansas. So literally Kansas plays UNLV now twice in – the next like four or five games So I have a little more issue I think with the the opponent than uh, than maybe the the bowl game even though you know like you it's but we're still in this spot like I'm trying to take the approach of uh, listen we've been trying to we've been clamoring for just get to a bowl game so no matter what and so now I, I'm trying to just enjoy the fact that Kansas is in both in a bowl game and now I guess is against an opponent that it should be able to beat. Also, UNLV um, has a dynamic offense and not a good defense, so hammer the over because this has a chance to be kind of uh, Liberty Bowl 2.0 in terms of, like, I could see this game being in the 40s or, or you know, 50s. Um, so from a watchability factor, actually, it's probably going to be fairly entertaining. Another pro is that Kansas should be the favorite and has a really good chance to win a bowl game, and that's something you can take pride in. And also get that ninth win, which, again, is something that, you know, just it's just a number. and It's just one more than eight. But it's just there's something to that on the stepping stones. But obviously, I would have rather had it be like I thought I thought Maryland was the most compelling matchup that we could have got. Like, obviously, I was I was not excited. I saw Northwestern as the potential matchup in a couple of uh, prognosticators uh, predictions. But like, I I thought Maryland would have been a really fun one. Uh, You know, to his little brother at quarterback, and and they've got a uh, a lot more balance here. But yeah, I think also the fact that just you play UNLV again in like in September also just takes some of the shine away from it. But hey, it's you know, I the day after Christmas is tough because travel. Like you know, I don't know how many fans are are not associated with the program or with you know the athletic department are going to be able to to work the trip down, you know, the day after. So it would have been nice if it would have been the 27th or 28th to give people a little more time to maybe be able to get down there. Um, but you know what? It's a bowl game. Now go out, take care of business, go get that ninth win, get a bowl win, and set yourself on on the right path going into next year where hopefully you're talking about Kansas in one of those spots for either the playoff or, you know, I guess I was going to say a New Year Six Bowl, but now it's all different with the 12-team playoff.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I was disappointed because of the opponent, honestly. Um, like, UNLV, sure, they had a pretty good season, but I was looking forward to playing another Big Ten team, getting an opportunity, you know, to potentially have, um, you know, I mean, it probably would have been someone like Northwestern or Maryland or something like that, but it would have it would have been interesting, like you said. And so I was looking forward to that. Unfortunately, um, you know, or I was just looking forward to Orlando. Like, Orlando would have been a whole lot of fun. I'm not going to be able to go cover the game in person like I did last year, unfortunately, but, um, you know, that I probably wasn't going to be able to regardless of where it was. Although if it had been down in like Texas, the Texas bowl or, you know, at, at energy stadium or something like that, I might've been able to swing it, but, um, I, I am glad though that they're not going back to the Liberty bowl. Like Iowa state can have that against Memphis. I don't really care. Um, that's not a great place to play a bowl game, unfortunately. So, um, but, and I think I saw they try not to
1: have people go back to back bowl games Correct. anyway in the same spot. So it was, it seemed like it was always either going to be guaranteed raid or the Texas one. And, and yeah, like I said, I think, I think Kansas is in the Texas Bowl if Oklahoma gets one of those New Year's six spots. Uh, and when they didn't, that kind of sealed the fate.
0: Yeah. Unfortunate. But like you said, um, I think Kansas is going to have a really good opportunity to win this one. Um, I will be very interested to see. Obviously, this will be uh, you know my my expectation is that Andy Kotelnicky will not be coaching the team in the bowl game. That instead he'll be up at Penn State already trying, trying trying to get stuff kind of going there, getting familiar with the personnel up there. I could be wrong. He he could finish out the season, but at the very least, it's an opportunity for us to see how Jim Zembrowski you know calls plays, what he does with this team, and you know he is technically the co offensive coordinator right now. But I have a hard time imagining they're going to have. Kodal continue to call plays, even if he's still here, just because they want to start getting ready for next year. That's the entire point of the bowl game. Yes. You want to reward seniors who are playing, but you know, I don't think that changing over to to Zabrowski, who's already been super involved and, you know, and, and and that's the other thing. Obviously we need to talk about that. Um, So let's, let's go ahead and actually transition over to that. Obviously the big news for last week for um, coaching wise was Andy Kodal moving to Penn state, being hired by James Franklin to be their offensive coordinator. And I, and I, and I put this up over on, on blue wings rising. This is a move that I know that a lot of Kansas fans are upset about. Um, but this is something that I think that made a lot of sense for Kodal Um, you know, as much as, or as, as successful as he's been here, as much as he's been a hot coaching commodity here, I have a hard time imagining that a power five level team is going to bring him in as a first time head coach. If he's been with Andy, i sorry, with with Lance Leipold for ten plus years, it's not that he that people don't trust his offensive acumen, but you look at just how well this whole program is set up and how big of a footprint you know it has uh, of Lance Leipold on it, and it's not hard to imagine that somebody would look at that and say, yeah, he's done it at Kansas, but it's 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 a lot like Andy Reid with the Kansas City Chiefs. All of his offensive coordinators, the big question was. Is it Andy or is it the offensive coordinator? And so I think this gives him an opportunity to go out and show that he can have that same sort of success as an offensive coordinator in a completely different you know, situation. He can bring in his ideas can change it to mold what he wants as opposed to following what Lance Leipold has set up. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense, I think, for him. From what I understand, uh, money was not the issue. Kansas was ready to make him one of the highest paid coordinators in all of college football, which is kind of crazy to think about. But uh, no, he he wanted this opportunity. Penn State could ma- pretty much match the money. So money wasn't really an issue at all. It was just a matter of where he wanted to be. And for his career, it made the most sense for him to move on. We always knew this was going to happen. I think it's just happening sooner than a lot of people were expecting because we expected them to be able to get Kansas back to respectability, get them back to being a good team. And they've done that in just three years. And so now it's time for Nicky to move on, for Lance Leipold to bring some additional people through, the coaching staff, and you know it's it's bound to happen at some point it's just a matter of keeping this train rolling with new people
1: yeah you can't you can't be mad at colnacki at, at all i mean cuz that's the thing is that you know um you to your point i think he i think it's it's clear that he has aspirations to be a head coach one day at the power 5 level and if you are the one who and like listen penn state has been that team that's that's always ranked always good but defensive led and just not very exciting or original or inspirational offense like they just it, it hasn't been working and so if you go in and you turn that around at Penn State and have them be averaging 35 points a game which also then would probably mean they're in the playoff conversation and um have that train rolling it's just you know it's 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 the same thing as, as why guys go in and be the Alabama offensive coordinator for a year or two and then automatically get a head coaching job. It's just a bit much easier stepping stone for him and, and also for the reasons that you pointed out. So, yeah, there's no um, – I think Kansas fans can't blame them. I mean, you know, you are – we are very fortunate in that, like, from a basketball standpoint, you're, like, one of, one of the only schools where – people don't leave for better opportunities because there aren't any in football. That's not as much the case, you know, it's, and, and you got to let him kind of, you, you, you know, he was as instrumental in this rebuild as anybody and the way that he transformed the offense and the way he got the most out of both Jalen Daniels and uh, Jason Bean and frankly, anyone who was in there, but also, so you got to be happy for him. You got to appreciate his, his time in here and what he's been able to do and also think that you know what it it does feel like Kansas is still in a really good spot from a offensive schematic uh standpoint and that's the great thing about now obviously um obviously it's not the the bowl game necessarily a bunch of fans were excited about but now you have a whole month that coach Z to your point like he's yes he's the co offensive of the coordinator now like i imagine that this next month and then the bowl game is him kind of taking over and his putting all, all of his, some of his flair in there. And, you know, this is, this is the guy who's been working with the quarterbacks more than anybody. So like with Jalen Daniels coming back next year um, and some, and some good quarterback recruits coming in, uh, you know, I think, I think Kansas is, this is not a panic mode thing. This is a good for you, coach. I, I, this, I hope, you know, this is one of those things where you mentioned Andy Reed. Like I think this can be a win-win where Andy Reed can go to Kansas city uh from philadelphia you know finally get it done kind of shake that off but then philadelphia can get their own guys and and keep going back there too and being just fine as well so like i i i don't blame colton there's no reason to be mad at him you know again i don't think it's the money i think it was that circumstance and now you just keep setting up the foundation under him and i like i also love the move to you know we didn't mention this but jordan peterson getting um getting the, the bump to co-defensive code coordinator, especially as a lot of the secondary has some decisions to make, like Kobe Bryant and, and Melo Dotson. I don't, I don't think we can underestimate that. But, um, yeah, I think this could be I, – I think I, I'm not worried about Kansas's offensive future now. I think they're still going to be quite dynamic next year. And I do like that we now have the next month and then the bowl game for, uh, you know, Zabrowski to, to put his – Start putting his stamp on things and seeing what that's going to look like.
0: Yeah, a, a couple other things to keep in mind. Like one, this is a very, I guess, uh, tag team type of coaching approach, right? Like Kodelnicki was not the guy, and he like dictated from on high what he wanted to see for the offense. This is very much a collaborative effort where Kodelnicki, you know, was able to focus on the the tight ends in terms of position coaching. They were able to kind of all come together and throw around ideas. And ultimately, it was more of a collaborative effort where Andy Kotelnicki called the shots. Like, he was, you know, he made the final decisions, but he was not the only guy in the room that was offensively gifted that was able to think about what they were able to do or come up with really good ideas. The other thing to keep in mind, Jim Zabrowski has been the offensive coordinator for Lance Leipold before. They have won national championships at the D3 level at Wisconsin-Whitewater with Zabrowski as the offensive coordinator. The only reason Andy Kotelnicki ever became the offensive coordinator for Lance Leipold was because Zebrowski moved on to go be a head coach for him himself, and so, you know, it's an example of uh, you know, uh, kind of like Matt Nagy coming back to the Chiefs, you know, after he went to go be a head coach to the with the with the Eagles. Like people move in and out of these positions, and now he is back. Now Zebrowski's back leading the offense for the Jayhawks. Um, I'm not again. I'm not worried. They've all worked in these kinds of roles before. There are definitely some new faces, but like you said, it's not a huge change from what they were doing before. They just have a couple different personnel that they're having to move into different roles and, you know, they should be able to hit the ground running and keep going. Like, it's not like the base of all of this is changing, right? They're not, they're not, we haven't heard of any kind of decommitments after Andy Kudelnik left. And I think that's because of, you know, how well um, the position coaches are involved in that recruiting and you know i don't i don't really expect there to be very many recruits leaving so it's going to be a lot of fun i do think while there is definitely a loss there you you do you know kind of feel bad about what kansas is losing in a in a uh, i guess a, a proven offensive play caller at the power 5 level it's not like you're going to go completely bare and and a whole bunch of stuff is leaving so okay um and yeah like you said jordan jordan peterson getting co defensive coordinator absolutely fantastic for him and i do think it helps with a lot of the guys that are trying to make those decisions but all right um yeah kansas will be just fine i think that the cupboard is still completely stocked and they are going to be ready to hit the ground running again next year just like our sponsor on the podcast where they are fully stocked with absolutely fantastic apparel that you can find over at the charlie hustle clothing company charlie hustle is a vintage inspired clothing company based right here in kansas city That has absolutely fantastic vintage collegiate apparel. And they want you to be one of the best best, best dressed fans this holiday season. Right now, they do have a ton of great stuff over at charliehustle.com. The 12 Days of Hustle are going on right now. Where they have just fantastic deals for you the entire holiday season. So, head on over to charliehustle.com. Take a look at what they have. The Kansas stuff is absolutely fantastic. You can go get yourself a KJ Adams um, NIL shirt. You know... Um, show, show your support for him there and, and the great game that he had against UConn, which we'll be talking about here in just a minute. But, you know, all kinds of great stuff over there. CharlieHustle.com. If you do miss out on all the sales, you can use our promo code 101215 to get 15% off of all non-sale items. That is T-E-N-1215. Um, but CharlieHustle.com, vintage made fresh. All right. Let's go ahead and jump over to basketball. But before we do that, I need to throw to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast.
2: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we're back. I am here with Kyle Davis, De- deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. We obviously just got done talking about football and volleyball. It is now time for, I mean, it is that season. It's what everybody really wants to talk about, right? We have Kansas foot or Kansas basketball with an absolutely ridiculous matchup on Friday. Before we get to that one, though, I do want to ask about the Tuesday matchup because you, you were there at that game as well. It seemed like Kansas was a little sluggish, that something was going on and they did not either. They didn't take um, Southeastern Louisiana. Was it no Southeastern Illinois,
1: Eastern Illinois, Eastern Illinois.
0: Oh my gosh. There's so many different Kansas women played Southeastern Louisiana. And uh, I've been mixing up which one is which all week long. So Eastern Illinois, Kins didn't. I, I don't know if Kins didn't take them seriously or if something else was going on, but um, they definitely struggled in that game. Was there anything from that game that worried you, or was it just one of those games where stuff is just weird and it happens to to to, to look bad?
1: I think it's more the latter. I think it was a look ahead. There wasn't as much energy or, or intensity there. You you know I. Um, Jordan Booker, Tiger is his nickname, from Eastern Illinois, hadn't played the last three games. I think he had a broken nose or something like that. He was back and obviously uh, was is one of their best dynamic offensive players, and they hit a lot of really tough shots that seemed to go in at Allen. And, I, you know, it was one of those things where uh, Kansas, I think, just they just – there, there wasn't much intensity in that one, and they just seemed kind of out on themselves, which is what happens sometimes with college kids against a, you know, a team that you're expected to beat by a lot three days before you have the reigning national champions come in. And so I, I would not put much stock into that one. I think that is one of those that's like a natural kind of game where you're gonna. It, it's just hard not to kind of. Be a little lax there. um yeah, It was I, also one of those things, even in the second half, I didn't really, it got closer than it should have, but it's, it was also one of those things where I never really felt like it was in that much danger because it, it seemed like just, you know, Kansas was going to be able to get something if it wanted. It just never seemed that interested in just putting the game away.
0: Yeah, I mean, they led by 13 at the half. um They were only up by seven going into the last 10 minutes of the game, but. Yeah, it never really got that much closer. Um the other thing to keep in mind, you know, they took uh, Eastern Illinois took 22 three-pointers and made nine of them. They were shooting 41% on the night. You know, they were eight uh, they were 8 of 10 from the free throw line. Um you know, Kansas on the other hand, you know, they averaged or their points per possession was 1.08. They you know, shot 60% from 2 and only 21% from 3. They only made 3 out of 14 three-pointers. So the the three-pointers were off. You didn't have McCuller, Harris, or Dickinson hit a three-pointer the entire night, which you normally do. Um, You know, you had Furphy made one, Marco Jackson made one, Nick Timberlake made one. Like, you had guys that normally will make a ton of threes or have really good shots that just weren't shooting well. And Kansas missed six free throws. So it's like they had tons of missed opportunities, tons of, you know, issues, I think, there. They only had 10 turnovers, though, which I think is a positive sign. Like, it was a much slower game, I think, than Kansas would normally play. You weren't really that worried about it. I think it's just one of those off nights where you had to have some guys on the bench step up, and enough guys did to be able to cover the, the things that weren't going well. Um, I, I know I'm definitely a little bit worried about the the shooting slump for Dewan Harris, who is not... You know, he, he had that, that game where he got on fire against Kentucky, but after that, I don't think he scored more than three points the rest of the year in any other game the rest of this year. Um, it's been a, a, I think a rough, a rough season. So I'm sorry. No, that that's absolutely not correct. Um, he had five against Tennessee. He had four against Marquette. He had seven against Chaminade, but I mean, still not, not really good offensive outputs for him at all, which I understand that's not really his role on this team, but he needs to be able to do those sorts of things. Um, yeah, I don't think there's really anything else to take away from this Eastern Illinois game. So let's go ahead and jump right over to Connecticut. Obviously, this was a a huge matchup, super hyped up, um last two national champions in Allen Field House. Before we get to the actual game itself though, I do have to ask you because there was a little bit of a online ridiculous, uh, I guess. I don't really even know what to call it, but some of the Yukon parents were not very happy with where they ended up getting <laughs> placed seating-wise and Look, I, I know we say that there's no bad seat in all of Allen Field House. From what I understand, though, this was not a case of, you know, Kansas sticking all of the Connecticut parents up there. This was a case of Connecticut ran through their allotment of tickets that they were given where normally the families would get to go because something happened and they didn't get the right guys to take it. So I think this is just as much on UConn as it is on Kansas. Um, you know, Kansas was very gracious and gave them the overflow section that's typically reserved for Kansas VIPs that don't get to you know sit down low, so I, I I think there was nothing really to talk about there. But were you surprised how much that blew up on Friday night?
1: Um, my there were there was a lot of UConn fans there, and I will say that this is not all of them because there were some that were very gracious and and kind. There was also a lot that were very loud and obnoxious, and there was a bit of a East Coast snobbery there so does it surprise me no um, is it was it completely overblown yes um, and like what, what do you expect this game like I could have sold my tickets for $300 a piece I'm like what do you want you want to kick David Booth out of his uh, court side seat so that Donovan Klingman's dad can sit there no come on so no it was ridiculous it was dumb uh, and they just you know you're, you're, you're traveling to a road environment I think yeah, I think what your explanation uh, is the correct one, and like you're you're fine. Don't worry about it.
0: Yeah, I, I just do. I do think it's kind of funny that you know I, I saw the overwhelming postings online of all the people talking about how great of an environment it was, and how you know a ton of Connecticut fans that were like, "Man, I I really wish that we could have this kind of environment, you know, for our home court." Um, I do find it hilarious that. You know, the only people responding to his post about that uh, that were, you know, it was like Kansas fan or Kansas State fans talking and Missouri fans talking about how horrible Allen Fieldhouse is. It's like when when the only people saying anything bad about your arena is, you know, your two biggest rivals, um, it means you're probably doing something right. So, yeah. All right. So to the game, you know, I, I do think, though, that at least part of it is kind of indicative of the way that Dan Hurley and Connecticut has kind of portrayed themselves, right? They've, they've kind of come in with this expectation of being the national champion and Dan Hurley's comments about how the big East is far and away the best conference in all of college basketball. And you know how basically, you know, like it just seems like they've come across as a very arrogant in the media, very arrogant in terms of the way that they expect to be able to perform. And while yes, they won a national title last year. I don't think that this team is as good as the last one. I also don't think that this Connecticut team is, um, you know, that they were the best team last year. I think they just were able to get through everything the best. So, um, you know, we talk about crapshoot all the time about what that NCAA tournament is. I'm not really that surprised that, you know, the 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 team that won it may not have actually been the best. But coming into this game, though, like looking at, at the way that this game played out, was there a particular stat line, a particular player, something that really surprised you?
1: Um. No, I mean, I knew, I knew that – I said it in the preview. It was going to be the same thing as Kentucky, whereas the outside of Cam Spencer, the Huskies were not shooting the ball from deep uh, up to their potential and level, and that mo- mainly fell on Tristan Newton. And so I even said there, I was like, we are going to be writing about this just like we wrote about the Kentucky game where it's like everyone outside of Antonio Reeds is shooting 26% from three. One of them is going to go off. And it was Dilling, Rob Dillingham, and honestly, you know, Reed Shepard and all of them. I had the same feeling it was going to happen. And so the Tristan Newton blowout, you know, th- six and nine from three didn't really surprise me. That I, I, it was, it's not just, just so you know, Tristan, that's not replicable. Like, hat tip to you. It was an incredible performance. It was also I don't know. He probably hit at least three of the six in the last three seconds of the shot clock fading away at like from three, like they they were incredibly high, highly difficult shots. I also think if, if Samuel Jackson wants to take some shots at Hunter Dickinson about flopping, maybe take a look at Tristan Newton when he's shooting threes and kicks those legs out so far that he just falls on his butt. Like that was interesting. And I think the biggest shocker of the game, honestly, is that Dan Hurley did not get a technical because he was, it looked like Connecticut had six guys on the court most of the time because he was so far out there. The refs kept putting their hands out to him. His other assistants were going nuts. Like, I can't believe he didn't get teed up. But it made for an incredible atmosphere because that thing, the, the 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 energy in the field house was as good as we've seen in a long time. Um, and I, that's what some of you UConn fans talked about, is that it's not just the student section. It's literally everyone. And you could tell for, you know, no matter what, UConn thinks like they just don't play in environments like that. And early in that game, they were a bit shook. So we were sitting, we're sitting in the side, we're across from the Kansas bench. So we are in the side where Kansas shoots in the second half, UConn shoots there in the first half. And there were a couple of times in the first half during that run where Juan Harris would get the outlet pass and go on transition. And Cam Spencer looked like an absolute deer in the headlights as he's running toward him. Like the, the difference in body language between Cam Spencer and, and Dwan Harris in the first half, it's all. If you didn't watch any of it, and I just showed you pictures of like stills of their faces and those, you could have said, "Yeah, Kansas is up nineteen to six or whatever it was." Like they, they look shook, and and it's understandable. This is a tough place to play, and you, you know. And credit to UConn for coming back. And listen, they did it with a lot of tough shots. Like there's games you simulate this game a hundred times with how it happens with certain things, and they they miss half of those tough threes and don't get some of those calls and it's Kansas by 15 or 20, but they did a good job of doing this. But I think this is, this game was more about Kansas and less about UConn because um, this was one, they took care of the ball, eight turnovers. We knew that was going to happen. Like if, if all, we've been saying this all the whole time, like the Kansas offense is good as long as they just stop turning the ball over. And you knew UConn was such a good offensive rebounding team and they just dominate the boards just overall. Kansas came out and there was such an impetus on grabbing rebounds and only limiting to UConn to one shot. And you saw that early. Kevin McCullough was jumping up for rebounds like I had not seen him this year. KJ Adams was fighting for rebounds like I had not seen him this year. So I think there was a <clears throat> there was a lock in and focus on the rebounding in and the overall defense. Like we're going to have to start talking about this Kansas team as being one of the best defensive teams in the country. The way that they switch the the very tactical motion offense of UConn, which all of their off ball motion is intended to either cut right to the basket or to get open shots. And KJ Adams was a masterclass switching those. He was switching on to Newton and to Spencer and Spencer wanted absolutely no part of him. Uh, Kevin McCullough obviously was excellent defensively. And even El Marco, I think you've seen quite a bit of improvement on his um ability to keep guys in front of him uh, and not be a liability on defense. And so the defense, I think, really stole the show. And then, you know, we can talk about the offense, obviously, Kansas, the, the when they're hitting some threes like that without taking very many, that's big, but they're just such a good team inside the paint. And when they play defense like they do and they rebound like they do, and that was the key, it was stop letting opponents grab offensive rebounds and getting second and third chances and stop throwing the ball into the, the third row and giving up offensive possessions and you're going to be fine. And I think those were the areas that Kansas did very, very well that we didn't see in Maui necessarily. And it was one of the reasons why they won the game.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, you, like you look, they only had eight turnovers and sure Connecticut only turned it over eight times, but Kansas plays good face up defense. So they don't necessarily need to force a ton or a ton of turnovers from the opponent to be successful defensively. Um, the fact that they only turned it over eight times was absolutely fantastic, and I do think that um, you know it, it is saying something when a game like this, um, you know, they had their lowest assist percentage of the entire year so far—thirteen assists on, uh, sorry, on twenty-three uh, made shots. Like is it, they only they only had a fifty-seven percent assist rate. Only <laughs> like they are far and away the number one assist team in all of nation in in all of the nation right now. It's not. And even, UConn
1: had nine assists on twenty-three made baskets. Right. So exactly.
0: Go. Yeah. So I mean, you know, this is the the fact that that is far and away the worst performance assist-wise for Kansas this year is just absolutely ridiculous. And and that's what the key to their you know to to their success has been is the fact that they move the ball around so well, they have such good interior passing that it's just it's really hard to account for everything that they're able to do. I do think. You look at this game. I mean, you had you had Kevin McCullough getting 21 points, you know, five rebounds. Um, you had Hunter Dickinson getting 15 points, and I guess only nine rebounds, although I looked at, like, halfway through the second half, and they had credited him with 10, so I don't know how he lost one. But, um, yeah, it was a little weird. But no double-double for Hunter Dickinson. Um, however, you did have K.J. Adams having, an eight, having 18 points, including the final two free throws to ice the game. Um, if you have not seen the post game in the locker room, Bill Self speech, um, then what are you doing? Like, go find it right now, because it was absolutely fantastic. And you know, again, KJ Adams having that kind of game right before he had to go down uh, to go bury his mom. That was like that was one of those things. Like, that's what sports is about, right? Is about recognizing those types of performances and giving people those kind of opportunities to really show what they can do. And you know, he played inspired ball was really happy to see him have such a good game before he had to go do that. And, you know, it's it's kind of cliche at this point, I think, for a lot of people, because for Kansas, you know, the whole thing the since back when the Morris twins were here, you know, it's the whole FOE family over everything. Um, you know, this is a this is a family, and I know that a lot of teams will say that, but I don't think that I've ever seen a team that has been that consistent. Like it is it has consistently been their mantra to make sure that you're taking care of the people that are here to make sure, you know, that like you hardly ever see anybody not actually get along with bill self or not, you know, respect the way he, he does things. I can only think of a couple examples where there was enough issues that it, that it actually made an impact on things. And so to kind of see what they're able to do there and see the way that this team kind of rallied around KJ was just absolutely fantastic. So, um, and KJ, KJ
1: right now is, I, I think sneakily, putting up an amazing season right now. Like, I don't know if if many people know this. He's right now fifth in the entire country in field goal percentage. He's shooting 71.2%, which is better than Hunter Dickinson. Obviously, Hunter takes more shots. But, like, the evolution of KJ's, like, that six- to eight-foot floater that he's got over bigger opponents is is becoming deadly right now. And he's, you know, even just he's – Actually, now up to twenty third in just uh, effective field goal percentage nationally, and so he's uh, his true shooting percentage is also in the top hundred. You know, he's he's fifty eighth in um, uh, in percentage for for two point makes on their own. Like he is doing an incredible job with limited. Like he he's not going to take a bunch of the shots. All he needs is basically eight or ten uh, shots a game, and he's he's got it. And I think the the thing that the why like him and Hunter Dickinson together is just a better pairing than I think even I anticipated coming in and what Kansas was desperately missing last year. One, now you have like, this is what KJ needed defensively, which is to play the four and then be able to, you know, he can guard Alex Caravan and get switched off onto Tristan Newton and stay with him and then get also then switched off into Cam Spencer and, and guard him on the three point line and contested like, you let Hunter go up against the the other seven footers. And now you have KJ switching everything def- defensively. But I think the most impressive thing I saw, there was a, this was somewhere midway in the second half um, when it was, you know, constantly trading baskets. It was either KU by, by two or four. And this was right in front of us. And Hunter and KJ ran basically a two man pick and roll over and over where it started at the three point line. I want to say it was, um, uh, Hunter, uh, you know, doing the pick for KJ basically gets to the foul line. Another one back to where KJ returns the favor, gets kind of down by the post. And then uh, one final one, Hunter hits KJ. He does the floater and he it back up four. And the way that they're able to pass between them, honestly, run uh, again a two man game, but just the two of them. And the way that KJ now can play defense when he is at the four and not the five, like this is what you in- embodied. Uh, or this is what you pictured as like the best case scenario when you brought Hunter Dickinson in and it's showing early. And obviously the guards are going to get better. And We can talk about the bench and and El Marco, but like from a post perspective, like this is a match made in heaven and KJ is not going to get the attention as obviously like Kevin and Hunter are playing, you know, at a first team all American level right now and, and deserve it. And, and Juan's always going to be the captain of the ship, but I would say, you know, KJ is probably the most under-the-radar, productive player right now who is, I think, having a greater impact on the game, even not just with the scoreboard, but just, like, if you watch the games and see, like, he is everywhere. And Kansas is, is you know, top um, – I think they're, uh, they're top 15 in block percentage as a defense right now, and that's not just because of Hunter. Like, KJ is also uh, just for himself – uh, nationally ranked in block percentage. Like I think those two together and that post play K- KJ obviously deserves all the love and the game balls from that, from what he's been dealing with emotionally and just the timing with everything. And I think that you're right, that, that, that self um, locker room comment deserved to go viral. Cause it's it's one of the better things you see and reminds you why you love sports, but even just on the, on the court, like I think we're in the discussion where KJ is one of the most valuable pieces and because he is playing so well, in addition to Hunter and uh, Kevin, you've got kind of this big three here to where it, it kind of masks some of the deficiencies that are coming on the bench, which I still don't think are deficiencies yet. It's basically KJ's performances right now are buying you more time with right. guys like Johnny Furphy and uh, Jamari McDowell and a Marco Jackson. Yeah. And, and so
0: that, I mean, let's, yeah. let's, let's go ahead and put it this way. Like you look at KJ Adams across the board this year compared to last year and obviously small sample size, there's still time for stuff to change, but, um, across the board in every single stat, except for his offensive rebounding and his free throw percentage, he is better this year than he was last year, significantly better this year than last year. He is, you know, his, his shooting percentage is up by 10%. His, uh, you know, his, uh let me see, his assist rate is up by an entire, uh, an entire percent. His block percentage is up by, you know, six tenths of a percent, which I mean, it's a pretty big amount. Um, You know, he's getting more steals. He's doing, he's, he's committing less fouls and he's drawing more fouls. Like this is just, it's, it's ridiculous looking across the board at just how much better he's gotten from last year to this year. And you know, he won most improved player in the big 12 last year. Like the way that he has taken this additional jump, if he can continue this through all of conference play, which again is, is, is a big if, but he is playing at a most improved player in the big 12 type of season again. And he's not even the best player on his team. The fact that he is able to, and and I mean, I think I do think, I do think even just, uh, you know, not just the stats, like you look at what he's done. He is now playing two or three different positions at a time. Um, he is able to rotate into a lot of different stuff. He can play the wing. He can play the four. You know, when when they needed, you know, when, when UConn started pressing and they needed somebody to bring the ball up, K.J. Adams was able to bring it up a couple times. Like, he can do a lot of different things that I don't think we've seen yet. And I do think that this is giving him the opportunity to play a lot freer, to try a lot of different things. And, you know, he is, I don't think he's ever going to be the star. But he is going to be one of those crucial support pieces that are behind the star that always gets the credit from the star because of what they've been able to do. I could see him having a successful NBA career as kind of that utility, you know, three and D or not three and D, but like defensive guy that is, you know, like mopping up rebounds and all that's like, he could be a very successful NBA player or be very successful overseas. He is, he is showing the abilities that he does have. And yeah. Yeah. Having Hunter Dickinson is, you know, obviously a huge boon for him, but it's allowing him to play in what's going to be his more natural role anyway.
1: And when you look at just the NBA level, like a a, uh, a slightly shorter but way more athletic four man who can guard one through four is and who can run and jump. And and just you know, dunk on anybody, and has insane athletic ability is more valuable. And fantastic
0: interior passing too, because that's one of the things that's that's hard to find.
1: That's a more that's a more valued skill set in the NBA right now than a seven foot two back to the basket five man is. So yeah, I mean, I think he is. um, I don't know. I can't remember if it was Jonathan Gaboni, one of the Draft Express guys, who was basically raving about. KJ Adams switching all these screens and guarding out on the perimeter uh, from the game. And and yeah, I think he's starting to catch some eyes and and you play UConn at home uh, that in front of uh, scouts and a national TV audience like that's, and you, and you do this well and do this many things like that's going to add to your attention level.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just crazy to think that he could be um, the third best player on the floor for Kansas this year and could probably end up, you know, being the most improved player in the big 12 and going in the draft this year. Cause he is playing at a high level right now. All right. I think that's going to go ahead and do it for the Connecticut recap. Let's take a quick look because this week we do have coming. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, one other note. Uh, we did have a couple games for women's basketball. They did beat, um, Southeastern Louisiana. um, in their first game, they went on the road on Sunday against Texas A&M, and it was a defensive battle for most of the game. Unfortunately, Kansas kind of ran out of steam at the end. They have had a very tough schedule at the beginning of the year, and so while they are under five hundred, they're at three and four right now. They have also played four top twenty-five caliber teams so far, none of them at home. So, like it's hard to it's hard to take a lot of positives out of this, other than the fact that they have been competitive in every single one of those games. But it's also really hard to take any negatives out of it because they've been very competitive in games that are either on a neutral site against the best teams in the nation or on the home floors of Penn State and of Texas A&M, two teams, again, that are performing at a top 20, 25 level. So um, they do have a couple games coming up this week as well. Um, we will definitely be keeping track of those. And I am planning on having a more um, women's basketball or and volleyball-focused episode coming up here soon so we can – really kind of dive deep into those, but just final thoughts here, looking ahead to the week, we have two local teams. We have UMKC coming up here at Allen field house uh, on Tuesday. And then Saturday again at home against the Missouri Tigers, obviously one of those games, is a little bit bigger than the other, but uh, what are your expectations for coming into this week and, and how these games are going to go? And do you think the Missouri game is going to be crazier than the you than the Yukon one? Or is it hard I, to tap to or to, to top two most recent national champions?
1: I don't know if it'll be crazier. I think it will be still maybe the second most electric game of this year in, in Allen. Outside of maybe you know when when Houston comes to town in early February, depending on how that shakes up. But there's not the level of hate for Houston that there is for Missouri. So yeah, it's going to be. I fully expect that that the Fieldhouse is going to be a madhouse on Saturday too. Um, And so, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a very similar situation. Whereas you have a Tuesday game against an inferior opponent that you're supposed to handle business against before a much more um, calendar circling one on Saturday. You, you know, I, I think uh, for you and K.C., I think this is a, one of those, you want to just, just get out to the early lead and then give guys like, Nick Timberlake and and Jamari McDowell and Furphy time to just figure some things out, Um, which I do think Furphy's coming along. Like he had some really big moments and he had some of those big threes where that really either cut into UConn's lead or help extend it. Like he played pretty well. And honestly, defensively, he showed his length out there against UConn. So I'm actually really happy with how Johnny Furphy's coming along and I love his aggressiveness out there, but like, you know, give guys like, um, uh, Nick Timberlake and, and Parker Brown and, and some of those guys some some action on Tuesday especially because you could tell that the the starters were just gassed after the game on Friday and then yeah Missouri is you know they did beat Wichita State today um, like literally finished about an hour ago one by ten at home um, and Wichita state's another team we're gonna see coming up but like you know Kempom has Kansas projected by 13 uh you know I know there's not I uh, I think I think Parker Brown will be an interesting one to uh, share some of that, because if you all remember or you didn't know, he started his career as a walk Missouri. on at yep. Missouri before he went to Santa Clara. Obviously, Christian has plenty of thoughts. Um, obviously, Dwan gets to play Missouri again at home, which, you know, he is from Columbia. They did not recruit him. What um, I will say so, is
0: I'm glad that Parker Brown gets to play Missouri at Kansas and not having yes. to go back over to Columbia. So. Exactly. So I am curious yeah. though, because you know, we talk about how crazy this is going to be and um, don't, don't look at your Ken Palm now. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have it up, but okay. I want, they have 13 home games left. Okay. Uh, Missouri. Where do you think Missouri ranks in terms of uh, Ken Palm ranking compared to all the rest of those home games out of 13?
1: Okay. So, um, I don't think they're better than any other Big 12 team that will play at home because I think all of the Big 12 is probably higher than Missouri is right now. I mean, you lose to Jackson State, you get, you drop quite a bit. I know, obviously, they're going to be ahead of UMKC. So they're at least 12. Yale's an interesting one because Yale's pretty good. Like Yale is a sneaky, you probably aren't paying attention to them, but like the computer numbers like them as well. So I think, I, I, oh, geez. Because the Wichita State game's are road or it's a neutral, neutral side at right. T Mobile. Um, so is it just cause it's, there's, uh, you said there's 13 games left. Yep. Is it just a three non-conference and the rest being uh conference game or are there four non-conference? And I There it are right?
0: three. I don't want to look. Three, three there's,
1: non-conference. Is it that Indian too? Okay. I'm going to say that they're, I'm going to say they're either 12th or 11th. Uh, and they're in, actually 10th. Dang um, it. Oh, Oklahoma
0: yeah. state is at 100 right now compared to Missouri. Oh yeah. Oklahoma state's yeah. really struggling. So okay. right. Dang so, it. Uh, but, oh, come on, Boynton, Make but, me look bad. <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, to, to think about the fact that that's probably going to be one of the craziest games. You went from the number four Ken Palm team, most recent national champion as probably the craziest and probably the second craziest, at least until Houston or, you know, maybe Texas or someone comes, um, you know, and, or, or like Baylor, you know, no, oh, no, I'm sorry, uh, BYU or something like, you know, depending on how well these teams keep going over the course of the year. Um, you know, Missouri's 81. Like, it's bad. Uh, it, and this is not expected to be a particularly close game. So it'll be very interesting to see how this game kind of shapes up. We will try to do a full preview. Um going to try to see if I can bring on a Missouri guest like I've done in the past. But, yeah, this is going to be an interesting game for sure. I guess the hope at this point is that Kansas can just uh, I wouldn't say necessarily use it as a, uh, a tune up game for Indiana the next week, but I I don't think that this is going to be a particularly difficult game. Last time that they played Missouri was, you know, in Columbia last year where they just absolutely wallop them. I was on hand for that game. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Really enjoyed it. Um, Obviously because Kansas won, but all right. um, And any final thoughts to wrap us up before we get out of here for the day?
1: No, I think, you know, uh, look, I I know there's been plenty of, Panicking on on Twitter about the level of this team, I would say no one in the country right now has a better resume than Kansas. I don't know if that, I think Arizona is going to be number one, and I'm fine with that. Like put Kansas the number two, but they have now three wins against teams in the top 21 at Kimpom, and their only losses to another top 10 team at Kimpom. And actually, the way that they play, and I'm not going to give it away because I'm trying to write this this week. Um, they Their doppelganger is another Kansas Jayhawk team that the more I thought about it when I first kind of watched them in Maui and now looking it up, uh, the numbers are even probably closer than I thought. So, But all all I will say is that this doppelganger like makes you feel pretty good. Um, And it's not the national championship team. I'll get that out right now. But it is a semi-recent Jayhawk team that if I told you that this team plays exactly like that one, you would be like – all all right I'll ride with that. Let's let's do it. And I think they're only going to get better. It's, I think the young guys are going to keep coming along. Um, I, I would like Nick Timberlake to get some confidence out there, but um, I, I really like what I'm seeing from Murphy. I'd love to see Jamar McDowell get some more minutes this week. Um, and yeah, just keep the momentum going because uh, you're you can't ask for much more out of this team. Uh, they're they're moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah, it's going to be uh, very interesting to kind of see how all that plays out. So, all right, that is going to do it for us today. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. You give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments. It would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in is entertaining in a way it's possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to start an interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are, of course, part of the 1012 Podcast Network, covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference, including the new ones coming in. Uh, go to 1012network.com to get links to all the great shows that we have. Of course, we are also having or we also have a patreon site you can support us over there patreon.com slash 1012 network there's some great fantastic exclusive stuff over there i highly recommend you guys go check it out and you can support us at the same time but make sure you visit our sponsors charlie hustle uh price picks they have some great deals for you guys over there but that's gonna do it for us today thank you guys so much for listening we will catch you guys next time on the rock chalk podcast
2: Podcast Network.